welcome to the Food and Beverage Leaders Podcast. I'm Andy Barr, owner of Barr Transportation. We're so glad you joined us today. Now, our mission here is very simple at Barr Transportation. It's to provide you with the most reliable and honest national transportation for your goods, paired with proactive communication throughout the entire life of the load. Now, this podcast is designed exactly for you. It's for sales managers, produce managers, logistics managers, traffic managers, the entire C-suite, anyone else who really wants to perform at the top of their game in this global food and beverage industry. So whether you're big or small, West Coast or East Coast, this podcast is meant for you. Now make sure to stick around at the end of each show and we'll reveal how you can apply to be on the show yourself so you can grow your authority, build partnerships, and help your business boom. Interviews are about 15 to 20 minutes long. And I'll leave you with my favorite quote, preparation plus opportunity equals success. That's it. I'll see you on the inside. Enjoy this episode. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another Food and Beverage Leaders episode. Today, we're here with Phil McLean with the Affinity Group, and we're both brokers. So, Phil, uh, middleman to middleman, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, awesome and, and thrilled to have you on here. Uh, so I guess, you know, without further ado, we'll just kind of dive right in. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into marketing and how you got into being a food broker from your days at Western Carolina? Absolutely. So I graduated from Western Carolina in 1979. A lot of people my age will remember that was a really uh, terrible time for the economy. Uh, we had just come off of four years of Jimmy Carter's presidency, and we had gas lines, and uh, gas was being rationed. Gas was expensive then, and it really hurt the economy. So jobs were uh, hard to come by, honestly. I graduated, like I said, in 79. I went to work for a couple of retailers. Uh, I knew that I wanted to do some, get into some kind of sales. Uh, I had an uncle that was in the food business and told me that if he had it to do over again, he would have been a food broker. And I said, well, what the heck is that? I never heard of a food broker. And um, started shortly after that as a food broker and have been doing it ever since. Um, oh. When they hear food broker, there's, there's two types. There's the retail brokers that go into the grocery stores and the um, Costco's and Sam's Clubs of the world. And we are food service brokers. We sell to restaurants, colleges, hospitals, uh, K through 12 schools, and institutional customers like that. Um, Very good. Started out with small, you know, small group, four or five of us. Um, expanded into the, you know, both Carolinas, North and South Carolina. And today we're associated with the Affinity Group, is nationwide, actually into Canada and in Mexico also. Okay, so Phil, so when, when you're a, a food company, right, how do you know if you need a food broker? And let's say you're an established company first. Let's talk about that stage, and then we'll go into if you're a startup. So uh, there's two ways to take your product to market uh, if you're a food manufacturer. Some of the bigger companies, uh, the Procter & Gamble's of the world, let's use those as an example, um, they're, you know, they're quite a large food company. They uh, can hire their own people in all 50 states and Canada and Mexico if they want to. They incur the expense of hiring those employees, training those employees, 
uh, all their expenses, their insurance, their cars. So that's one way to go about it. The other way and the way that we think makes more sense is to hire a local agency like ourselves or a local broker that knows the area already. We know the people, we know the customers, we know their distributors that sell to them. And so when you go with an agency like ourselves, that company will just pay us a commission on what we sell. And they benefit from that because again, we, um, we have local knowledge that we're able to, um, to help them get their products established. Well, that, that makes sense because, you know, if you're a company and you can avoid all this overhead and, you know, you can basically get an opportunity almost immediately through your relationships, like you said, it's very localized. Um, it's a win-win. I mean, you, you limit your overhead and then you, you, you get sales quicker. So Absolutely. It, it, it always makes sense to, to go the local option if you can. And I will tell you that the affinity reps that we have in New York City are totally different from the affinity reps we have in Colorado. And one can, can handle their market, but not the other and vice versa. So again, local knowledge, local people, um, local relationships, sales always gets down to relationships. I mean, prices in relationships usually take care of that too. And uh, that local option is always best for those people to help get established. Absolutely. And, you know, how does it change if you're a startup or is there any difference? A startup would be, um, yeah, there is a difference. Uh, so clients will contact us about the possibility of representation and it's according to what you're selling and, you know, where you're selling it. But if you have, uh, there's a lot of great ideas out there that never quite pan out because either of competition or there's just no market for it. So uh, we will talk to these clients. We'll make sure they have what is going to be needed, that they go into this eyes wide open so that they know um, they're going to have an opportunity to sell in the market. If, if we see it because of our local knowledge, we know this is never going to work here. It's just not going to work. Um, we, we share that with them and, and try to save them a little bit of heartache and, and maybe a, a lot of expense that would be wasted because they just didn't have um, really what it was going to take to sell in the market. Well, that's spot on because you, you know your local customers you know, a, a lot better than you know, someone who's servicing the entire nation trying to get to know everybody. And you know, if you know your customers' needs, obviously you're able to connect that connect your uh, customer needs with your suppliers. And like, for instance, I had a friend who, you know, started a, a drink company and he, he put it into the grocery stores, right? But he had mm -hmm. to pay these slotting fees and like, it was tough. I mean, it's a startup. No, I, I don't know if like restaurant schools, hospitals, they have slotting fees and, and challenges like that. But I, I assume there are a, a few um, hoops you have to jump through. Uh, uh, an incredible amount of hoops. And the example used is a good one. So these grocery stores have a limited amount of shelf space. Um, if that, there's just no way they could possibly ever stock every bottled water that's available now. So they have to choose the bottled waters that they're gonna you know, inventory and, 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 and teach their sales force to sell, so to speak. So um, when you have all those choices, someone has to whittle those choices down 
to these are the ones that we're going to be behind and uh, and start marketing from that. Um, and and so the food service is the same way. You know, if we have a, a manufacturer that comes to us, he's got this great product that's uh, kosher certified. You know, we're going to kind of slow him down a little bit and say kosher will not be as important in North Carolina as it will be in um, New Jersey, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, and vice versa. So we just have they have to go into this with their eyes wide open too about what it is that they have to sell, where they're trying to sell it, and then how they're going to be able to sell it. Uh, and then, so the grocery stores, these distributors, the uh, food service distributors are the same way. They have a limited amount of space in their, in their warehouse. Um, chicken tenders is a good example that we talk about all the time. There are probably, no joke, 300 different breaded chicken tenders out there on the market. Oh, my gosh. How many do you need, really? You know what I mean? How right. many? <laughs> uh, so you can get, you know, one that's breaded and one that's got a light breading and one that's maybe flattened or something like that. But uh, you don't need three hundred, and these distributors certainly don't need three hundred. Right. So they have to market the ones they choose um, to stock because they they won't even consider trying to stock all those. You know. Yeah, I'm thinking of maybe if you're in Louisiana, you get some like spicier Cajun chicken or I don't know. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. And uh, I, I think I mentioned somebody the other day that, you know, again, what we um, uh, our affinity folks in Colorado look at a totally different lineup uh, every day than our folks do in Minnesota, you know, or mm-hmm. Florida is a market really on its own. It could be a market on its own. And um you know, what works there may not work in these other markets and you need local knowledge to be able to help you, you know, get through all that. So that's, you know, knowing your market, that, that's basically you know, what we were talking offline about. Basically, the number one thing that founders or to be founders wish they would have known from the beginning is, you know, just really knowing what they're getting into, knowing that market. That's exactly right. I mean, you have, um, you know, a lot of people have had developed what they think is the best pasta sauce ever. They they swear by it. It's, it's their grandmother's recipe. But the truth is, you know, you have some big players out there, uh, the Campbell Soups and the Ragus of the world out there that are compete that you're competing with. And um, you gotta you really need to know your product and you really need to know your competitors before you dip your toe into that pond because uh, a lot of people didn't know that. And they found out after the investment was made. And uh, you know how that goes once the investment's made. Of course, of course. It's too late to have learned a lesson, you know. And, you know, obviously you want to be careful of your time, your your staff's time as far as what what, uh, products to introduce to your food service locations. So what, what are those, you know, the, the fancy acronym, unique selling proposition. What, what are those, you know, what are those key things that you look for uh, before you say, you know what, I think you got a chance. We'll, we'll market you. We'll, we'll be your food broker because yeah. you know, you're, you're going to go up against the dull, you know, fresh of the world when you get in there, right. You're going to go up against, you know um, you know, craft uh, Heinz ketchup, you know, you're, you're going to go up against the big guys. So what, what are those key things that they just, you know, what's that special sauce that you look for? Yeah, so a lot of that, again, because I think I mentioned to you one time before that we do represent soup to nuts. It's kind of a joke in our business, but I represent a, a nut line. 
and I represent the soup line. So everything yeah. in between. Um, it is really important. And, and that's what we share with, with clients is we, they interview us, but we kind of interviewed them too. Mm-hmm. And if it's going to be something that's just not a fit, or if it's something that's a conflict, maybe with something we have already, um, we do represent Dole and Dole, you know, makes uh, great frozen fruit products that are chef ready. That's a, a term they use table ready, ready to just thaw and, and serve. Mm-hmm. And um, so they know they're competing with the local produce guy out there, but the local produce guy knows in turn that he's competing with them because they have a convenient product that's 100% usable. You know, there's no waste. The example they always used to give us, Andy, was um, a pineapple. If you tell your, and, and the kitchen help now today is not maybe what it used to be. Uh, you don't have as many people in the kitchen and the skill level maybe is nowhere near what it was when everybody used to go to a culinary school. Sure. But you tell this guy to cut this pineapple, to trim this pineapple up, like he's the owner of the restaurant. Like that's his pineapple, his his wages that he's paying, trim it like you own this place. And when they do that, they come out with about a 60 to 65% yield. The, all that other stuff that you cut off, there's no use for it, so you throw it out, right? Mm-hmm. Paid for the whole pineapple, but you only get to use 60 or 65% of it. And so uh, that's very important when we talk about uh, university feeding, hospital feeding, and things like this, that this 10 pound case of dull uh, frozen pineapple is 100% usable. There's no waste, there's no throwing away, there's no cleaning, there's no sanitation issues at all. Wow. So that, that all kind of plays into it. And if the manufacturer, he lost that 35% by doing all that himself and put it in this, you know, in the frozen container for you. So he has to know his product and what his yields are going to be before he can tell you what a fair price is going to be. And, uh, and then the operator has to look at that too. They have to, they can't just say, this is what I'm paying for the pineapple. They have to say, this is what I paid. This is what I paid to get it trimmed. This is what I threw in the trash. And what I thought was a $3 pineapple turned out to be actually a $5 pineapple because I had to pay, you know, for the waste and for the uh, labor. So Right. Okay. Uh, okay. So- and they, they have to factor all that in when, when we interview them and they interview us, we make sure that they're, they're going into that, you know, again, eyes wide open. That's smart. Yeah. You want to be realistic. So that way, you know, they've got the, all these high hopes and they just started fresh with energy. You don't want to kill their, their, their fuel, but you want to just give them, Hey, this is what to look out for. This is what to expect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As far as products and consumer purchasing, consumer buying, consumer eating, what are you seeing as far as how people's preferences have changed over the past, I don't know, five years, maybe 10 years uh, as far as, you know, since your food service, so, you know, more in the restaurant, obviously, you know, not talking about COVID, but just, you know, as far as just general purchasing uh, philosophy and how that's changed over the past decade. Oh, I think without a doubt, it's got uh, the to-go, um, the whole to-go effort, even like you said, part of COVID, mm. at a lot of these places that were uh, marketing meals to-go, um, meals for the week so that you you would buy if a, a family of four could 
could make the purchase on Saturday for all the meals for that next week. Um, so that so everything's pre-portioned in some cases pre-cooked. Um, so it's a you know basically a heat and serve thing. You have so many two career families that you know the kids are you know preparing the meals themselves or in the microwave. Um, yeah. And so they wanted that convenience. They wanted that meal planning, if you will, but they also, and this is always going to be the key, they wanted something that was good. And so many times, um, I, I, the example I, I keep going, kind of go back to is uh, TV dinners. Uh, anybody that's, again, my age remembers TV dinners when TV dinners weren't very good. <laughs> yeah, the, the hungry man. Uh, they were hungry man, but I mean, <laughs> that hungry man had to be really hungry to eat that. You know? um, and it's gotten better. I mean, it just has to, over time, technology's gotten better. The the way they prepare product, the way they freeze product, the way they package product and all, it's just gotten, you know, way better than it, than it used to be. And uh, now labor being what labor is um, and, and all those other factors I mentioned, because safety, you know, especially now in the last two years, safety is a huge uh, concern. So all that has changed. I think when you said we're talking offline, the biggest surprise has been to me when my kids were small, we used to go to the store and we'd buy a head of lettuce that we would bring home and we would break, we'd wash the lettuce, and yep. we'd the lettuce and we'd make salads, you know, with that lettuce and add carrots and add this and that and the other. Uh, now you can't find the head of lettuce in the store anywhere because all that is already pre-bagged, uh, pre-washed, pre-bagged already pre-mixed so you got a hundred different mixes and and all that and um, the comparison in price is probably triple what it was before for the head of lettuce but consumers have just migrated to that that whole category of pre-bagged pre-broken lettuce uh, for the convenience but the quality and all that that's there also a uh, big surprise to me that people would move away from doing that themselves uh, but now uh, that's, that's usually 95% of the choice you have uh, for salads are going to be a, a pre-bag, pre-mixed product. Exactly. The, the whole convenience, time is money. Just, I just want to, you know, we have it yeah. all ready to go. I just open up, put some dressing on there and go. So, and then that packaging has gotten better too. So I think in the days they have to, have to do like a nitrous, nitrous flush and, uh, just wasn't very good, but now some of these, the packaging they have and the way they package the product, it's uh, it's good as fresh and has an extended shelf life. It's something you can take home and still good for a week after you get it home. And uh, just that convenience and the quality has really helped them establish, you know, a whole market for that. And to the restaurants that we talk about too, so many of those guys, instead of getting that 10 ounce bag that you see in the grocery store, they're getting a 10 pound case. Uh, and that 10 pound case already has the lettuce that's already pre-washed and, and pre, you know, pre-broken ready to, uh, for them to plate and serve. Exactly, exactly, awesome. So Phil, really appreciate the time today. Um, as, as we wrap up here, you know, you, you talked a little about the affinity group and, you know, it sounds like it might be a, a career that might be worth exploring. Could you maybe touch on, you know, what it's like day to day to be a food broker? And I understand you may have some opportunities out there for people that would like to explore it. Well, we're a national company now. So uh, anyone could go and just look at the affinity group. Um, 
we're, I think, actually listed as Affinity Southeast, but uh, Affinity Group is a nationwide company and um, they are looking, always looking for talent. We're always looking for talent, have HR people that, you know, can uh, look at resumes. Um, day to day, boy, that's a tough one because every day is a little different uh, in our world. And we joke about making a list of things we're going to do today and then the phone rings and it just kind of changes. <laughs> Right. I know that in your world, uh, in the freight brokers, it's, it's kind of the same way. Um, oh, yes. You can have it planned out perfectly, but one phone call can change the whole thing. So, but it's been a, it's been a great career actually retiring in uh, September. Um, it'll be 39 years uh, in the September for me. And oh, congrats. Been blessed to uh, have done it as long as I have. And we're in a market, um, I think, shared with you, uh, my two daughters. Uh, and they'll be mad if I don't mention their name. So Lindsay and Carl uh, were small, small when, when I first started. And we would go downtown Charlotte sometimes on Saturday morning and just look around, walk around the town. There's nobody there. I mean, there was no restaurants downtown Charlotte. The ones that were there were just breakfast and lunch, and they closed at noon on uh, Friday and reopened Monday morning because there was nobody living downtown. Wow. The venues downtown, I think there was maybe one hotel downtown and it only had people in it Monday through Friday. Uh, but we would go down there and look and it just blows my mind now when I see all the growth that's happened in Charlotte, um, all the restaurants that are uh, here. Um, mentioned to you that there used to be a little bit of country between Concord and, and Charlotte. Now there's no country in between. It's just Charlotte Metro, if you will, all the way out to Manhill, Matthews, all the way out to, to Gastonia. Uh, lots and lots of choices for restaurants, lots and lots of choices for um, places to eat. And so it's just been, we've been blessed to be, to be in a growing market like we've been in. And it's been a good ride for 39 years. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, I hope you have some fun retirement plans coming up uh, be before September hits. Is, is there a good phone number or email that, that listeners can reach out to you? Uh, sure. Well, my uh, email address is phil.mclain, M-C-L-A-I-N, at affinitysales.com. And um, I'd be glad to share anything with anybody that could help. Would be glad to do that. I appreciate you having me on today, and I hope that you uh, continue to do well. I know freight brokers are really uh, in in desperate need these days too. So I hope your business continues to do well also. Ah, thank you, Phil. Thank you, Phil. Uh, best of luck to you as well for the next few months. And yeah, listeners, thanks for checking in and we will see you on the next one. Thanks, Phil. All right. Thanks, Andy. Thank you for listening to the Food and Beverage Leaders Podcast. I'm Andy Barr with Barr Transportation. Now, if you are a successful leader in the food and beverage space, believe in your company, and want to share your story, really look no further. All you have to do is go to bartrans, B-A-H-R-T-R-A-N-S.com, forward slash podcast, forward slash apply, to apply to be on the show. Lastly, if you enjoyed listening to our show, please consider sharing the link or a screenshot on your social media account. We want to help as many people as possible truly believe education and discussion is where it all starts. Of course, if you know someone that would be a great guest, connect us and we'll explore to see if it's a good fit. Again, 
Thank you for listening to the Food and Beverage Leaders Podcast. And as always, we'll leave you with our favorite quote, preparation plus opportunity equals success. Now go crush life, and we'll see you again soon.